0: What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fire ground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of your hosts and those of my guest. Today, I've got a brother by the name of Ryan Mickler on the line. He's a husband, a father, an Iraqi combat veteran, and the founder of uh, Order of Man, a fantastic uh, podcast and platform. Uh, he recently wrote a book called Sovereignty, The Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Men. And we talk about all those things uh, that shape and and define who he is, and we talk about his book and so much more. Uh, enjoy. So Ryan, hey man, it's great to have you on the phone, and um, I'm glad to have this opportunity to sit down and chat with you. And I just got done reading your book, Sovereignty, which I absolutely uh, loved. And I want to talk to you, I want to dig in and talk about your book a little bit, but I but I really want to talk about you and um you know some of the stuff that you're working on, the projects you got going on with Order of Man, and the and and really a lot about who you are and what led you down this path, because I think your your story really informs, um, you know, what comes out in your book and what really informs kind of where you've arrived at today, which is you know with a really great message for for men and for for everybody, frankly. Um, but I know your your focus is really on on men and, and men getting their stuff together. So so let's uh, yeah. let, let's talk a little bit about tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, well, I'm I'm a father. I'm, I'm I've been married for 17 years. I think now is is what we're coming up on. So that nice. we've been together for a while. We've had our fair share of struggles, of course, in our marriage, but um, we're on the right path. You know, I started this organization six years ago to equip men with the tools and resources that I wish I had as I struggled in my marriage and had kids and tried to grow my financial planning practice at the time and so that's really what what we're about is doing everything we can to equip men with the tools they need to thrive
0: so tell me a little bit about where you where'd you come up at where'd you grow up
1: uh i i'm from california originally southern california is there... but i moved to a yeah but i moved to a very very small town in southern utah uh when i was 13 13 14 somewhere right in there and there was there was more kids in the in the high school that I would have went to in Southern California than the entire population of the town I moved to. So it was a big culture shock. It, but how old were you when you big, made that move? Uh, I, was, I was 13 or 14. I was, it was right before my freshman year of high school.
0: Oh, interesting. That's a tough time to move. That's... Yeah, I mean, it was,
1: <laughs> but, uh, it was a good thing. You know, I mean, I struggled for a little bit, but I, I got involved in competitive sports, football, namely and baseball yeah. and made a lot of good friends really quickly. Uh, very, Family-oriented town, um, very uh, God-centered families, and so it was. Uh, it, it wasn't a hard transition, although you know it, it could have been just based on my age. But I was actually grateful for the opportunities I had to move there and the people that I met and still stay in contact with.
0: No, that's awesome. Southern Utah is one of uh, one of my most favorite places. It's so uh, it's so unique and it's beautiful, and there's lots of amazing places to explore up there.
1: Did, yeah you know, definitely did you get out definitely. in the
0: backcountry much up there
1: yeah so I so I grew up in a town called Parowan, which is uh it's about an hour north of St. George Mo- a, a lot of people actually know where St. George is
0: I do know where St. George is yeah yeah and
1: so then I uh went w- once I graduated I did other things I traveled around a little bit I was in the military and things like that but then my my wife and I she's from Hurricane which is just outside of St. George. And we lived there for, well, she's lived there all her life. She's third generation born and raised in that Valley. And we lived there for, uh, 10 to 15 years, but we're right. Our our backyard is basically Zion national park. So we'd get up to Kolob mountain. So we, we had a lot of opportunity to explore and hike and see the outdoors. And it's funny because there, although we we were familiar with Zion and we've been there and did all the hikes and Angel Landing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it really wasn't until we decided to move here to Maine that we started to explore even more and found things that even she hadn't explored being there her entire life. So, oh, it, it was a cool opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of cool trails, a lot of cool just outdoor activities and hiking and camping and. But it took us leaving before we actually went and did it
0: (laughs) that's funny well you know it's funny because as you're saying that i'm like i lived in arizona for 15 years before i went to the grand canyon Mm. and everyone's like the grand canyon it's the grand canyon how could you not go i'm like i don't know it's it's just always right there why would i go like i'll get there someday
1: yeah we take things the things that are so close to us that are so familiar with us we take it for granted whether that's the grand canyon and these outdoor experiences or yeah even friends and family members Yeah, You know, we just take it for granted and believe it's always there. So, like, I don't need to do it now. And then when you run the risk of of it being gone or losing it, then you start getting serious about what you actually value.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think sometimes, too, moving away gives you some perspective, right? So, you're like, well, when you go back there, you're like, we need to do something valuable while we're there because we're traveling there versus it's just always available to you. So
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, exactly. That's exactly what you're right. saying. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So, so growing up in in that neck of the woods, I'm, I know you mentioned that you were a scout leader, and I picked this up in listening to you. Um, uh-huh. Were you Were you a youth? Were you in Scouts as a youth?
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, when I was doing Scouts, I was with boys between the ages of mostly between the ages of twelve to sixteen. That varied a little bit, but most of the boys that I worked with were. We're about that age.
0: Yeah. So, but when you were a child, a young man. Oh,
1: oh, I'm sorry. When miss- I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Yeah. So i I was in Cub Scouts up until like 12 years old, I think, and then or maybe 13, I became a, a Weeblow and got my arrow of light and stuff like that. Oh, but, yeah. um, but then when I moved to Southern Utah, all the scouting organizations were run through the church and we weren't members of the church so okay I I I stopped doing scouting and I mean I was always active though because at that point I had sports and I had friends from school and so sports is where I learned a lot of the same lessons that you had learned in scouts you know outside of like outdoor survival and some of these other things right I learned a lot about how a young man tra- transitions into manhood via the football field or the baseball diamond, as opposed to right uh, some sort of scouting organization. Yeah, I wish I would have. I wish I would have become an Eagle Scout, though. Yeah. Um, are you an Eagle Scout?
0: No, I am not. I. <laughs> yeah. My um, I was uh, so I grew up in Canada, and I was okay. as a young as a kid, early young, 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 probably Cub Scout age. They didn't have Cub Scouts; they had. Beaver, mm. beaver scouts, um, beaver scouts, okay. uh-huh, which <laughs> ridiculous. We had these stupid hats with little beaver teeth on the tail on the back. It, that's all I remember about it. Um, and then, <laughs> and then we moved, uh, uh, moved away when I, when, and I was never part of scouting. It was something my dad was not into and, um, he, he, it was not his thing. And yeah. so we never did anything like that. And I didn't really get into the outdoor experience until I was in the Marine Corps. Um, so I kind of I followed a similar path to you. I was all into I was doing sports, played football, ran track, did all that kind of stuff coming up, and uh, you know started to kind of develop my philosophy about leadership in, and and about um, you know personal development in, during that phase of my life, and uh, uh-huh. really started to get into the outdoors when I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, believe okay. it, which seems kind of odd because it's you know forced marches and you know <laughs> living in the dirt in the 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 roughest. Uh, possible way uh, had its own special flair, but I dug it. I was really into it, and uh, and then later in life, got involved with the scouting organization um, as a leader, and uh-huh. fell in love. Fell in love with the opportunity that we could provide to these young men and, and what we could do to help them develop. And it was just such a neat opportunity. And, and again, just like yourself, I'm like, man, I wish I wish I had known about this when I was a kid. It would have been cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, scouting has lost a lot of its luster for me, and, and, and I think they're really taking a, taking a course of action in a path that is not conducive to their own founding principles, uh, which is unfortunate because they've quite literally served and saved millions and millions of young men uh, throughout the, their history. So it's it's unfortunate, but I think in a lot of ways they've lost their way, and so becoming an eagle, eagle scout I don't think is what it once was. But it's still something that I wish when I was younger, when scouts had more meaning and more, frankly, of a spine. I think um, I think that would have been a good thing, you know.
0: Well, and so you know their the, you know their their politics aside, when you talk about their the core philosophies. Um, I think it really it dovetails super nicely into what you're talking about for, you know, the role of a father and the role of, you know, uh, men in the community and things that we can do to help youth develop themselves. Um, and, and to, you know, there's so much that we can do there. And um, but, but I, I want to get into that, but I want to before we go there. How did you? I, you know, I know that you, uh, you, you touched on the fact that you served in the military, and uh, uh-huh. how did? So tell me a little bit about your service. What, what did? Were you National Guard?
1: Yeah, National Guard. So I, so I joined the National Guard uh, as a senior in high school, and then when I graduated high school, I went and did uh, a semester or two of, of college in in a neighboring town, and lost my scholarship almost. <laughs> like, like immediately oh. I had an academic scholarship and lost it just because I didn't show up to class. Uh,
0: that that'll do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And cause I hated it. I remember these like these school teachers or, or professors or whatever, you know, trying to tell me about why, you know, writing these, these papers were so important or whatever. And I just couldn't wrap my head around why. It, and, it, and it isn't actually all that important. <laughs> like right. unless, uh, unless you need a degree to, to pursue a career then I I just found it completely to be just a complete waste of time. So I I got into work and then I ended up doing basic training, um, that, that summer and then came back and, you know, did other work and odds and ends and, uh, did helped with the, uh, the winter Olympics in Salt Lake through the national guard. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, we were going to, that was cool. I I was up there for 30 or 45 days somewhere in there. And then we were going to do a deployment, uh, to Iraq in 2003, and we were doing our workup, and I think it must have been a week or two before we were supposed to be deployed. They said, "No, never mind. You're going to uh, Fort Lewis to train ROTC cadets." So we did that, which was awesome duty because we took I don't know, we must have worked three or four days, and then we had three or four days off, and we'd go watch. We'd go watch the Mariners, we'd go watch the Seahawks, we'd 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 (laughs) mess around and run around Seattle and Tacoma and that whole area. And so that was pretty good. And then in two thousand five, uh, it was the the night before I guess it must have been the night before Thanksgiving, I got a call. This would have been in 2004, the end of two thousand four, I got a call from my section chief and he said we'd been activated. So I spent all of 2005, six months doing a workup in, um, in Mississippi. And then we did some stuff in California for, you know, desert climate training. And then, uh, and then we deployed and I spent a year in, uh, Ramadi, Iraq in 2005 and 2006. How was that? Uh, it was crazy. <laughs> you
0: know, like, yeah.
1: I mean, there wasn't, I remember getting there and, and the unit that we were replacing specifically with what my responsibility was going to be, which was, base defense so just ensuring that the observation posts were reporting and then we would try to decide okay well how are we going to respond are we going to send a quick reactionary force out there are we going to leave it alone we're going to send it to the counterfire mission like it was our job to figure out like how to respond to these threats and keep the the soldiers and and marines on on base safe and, and secure uh but i remember you know the guys that we were going to replace showing us around the first day or two and you know, they showed us where these rockets and these mortars had hit, and where the walls were all, you know, broken down and tumbling down. Uh-huh. And I just thought, what? And then I remember going into the the office that I was going to be working in, and there was uh, some some pictures. There must have been, you know, 10, 15 different pictures on the wall. And, and I asked one of the guys that I said, "Oh, you know, who are these individuals?" And they said, "Oh, those, those are the those are the soldiers that we've lost in our deployment here." And you know that that's what we were going to be doing. So uh-huh. it was a real eye opening opening moment for me um but there wasn't a day that went by where we didn't get hit with a, a rocket or a mortar or something yeah. um so it was obviously a very stressful time uh but but a good learning experience and opportunity and fortunately our there was there was a uh, one one soldier he was a uh, a major if i remember correctly that was attached to our unit that lost his life but our, our particular unit didn't didn't lose a single soldier while we were deployed, which was miraculous and I mean a real blessing, obviously.
0: Yeah, that's a yeah. What a Ramadi! When I hear about when I think of Ramadi, I think of a very hostile um, period of time. You know, very hostile.
1: Yeah, in two thousand five you know, and
0: six. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, so so you know, when you think about your time in uniform. Is there is there one thing that you can take away as something that you um you know that's informed the rest of your life as you've moved forward?
1: I mean there's a lot of things, you know, discipline, uh playing playing at the level you need to play at. You know, I think a lot of people in life take take life and their activities and their behaviors and choices so flippantly and casually. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you're in the military, especially in a combat environment like I was the choices and decisions that you make literally spell the difference between life and death for somebody or yourself. So when you're, when you learn to make decisions at that level, it becomes easier to make decisions that, that don't have those same level of consequences. Mm -hmm. And so, so I take my choices very seriously. Not that I think I'll die if I make a wrong choice necessarily, but, but it is important. The choices that we make and the behaviors that we that we engage in and the way that we think is, is very important. Uh, and then there's also the camaraderie and brotherhood. And and in a lot of ways I miss that of the military. Yeah. You know, we we were focused on each other and how we could serve each other. And of course there was, you know, there was fights and there was animosity between men and, you know, that's just the nature of, of being in, in an environment where you have a bunch of strong, capable, hard charging guys. Uh, but then there's the accountability and camaraderie, knowing that you need to improve because you're that guy's six, you know, you're covering him. He's covering you. I got to make sure that he's dialed in. Otherwise I put myself at risk. He's got to make sure I'm dialed in or vice versa. And so yeah, we lose a lot of that outside of you. And I talked about sports, for example, you know, you have that in sports. Um, and for most men, we, there isn't any, there isn't anywhere else to get it. You know, when you graduate high school, really what's going to end up happening is you're going to go, to college and and maybe you have some roommates or something, you know, some friends, uh, but you guys are more worried about where the next party is and where the ladies are than, you know, worrying about how to improve yourself really. Right. And then, and then you, you graduate and you, you, you get a, you get a, a job and you're sitting in a cubicle by yourself, punching away on the keyboard and hunched over a computer. And there's no real, there's no real brotherhood, that you that you have the opportunity to build, and so I realized that I didn't have that outside of the military in sports. Which by the time you know I was in the military, my sports were essentially done. Uh, so I, I really struggled because I didn't have that band of brothers. And it wasn't until five, six, seven years ago I realized how actually important that is, mm. and started to build that out for myself, which became the foundation for the the movement and the work that I'm engaged in now. Yeah,
0: I, yeah, I love that the. The uh, it reminds me there's a book uh, called Tribe by Simon Younger, mm-hmm. and that book really you know to me it really kind of distills some of what you're talking about this idea that you know we're meant to be in a in a collaborative effort with people, um, yeah, and, and in in this like community that supports each other and you know and you said this too you said um, you know we have our we have each other six and I think that you know coming out of the military that means a lot and I and it, to me there's so much contained inside that it's not you know it's not just like hey man a physical position where I got your back no it's about right. it's so much deeper than that right and um and it's so much more meaningful and you know and in, in my in my career here in the fire service and this is really the th- uh, the thrust of why I wanted to have you on is because in the fire service it is about uh we call it a brotherhood right and right we, and yeah uh, and we have some sisters in our brotherhood and and they are fantastic um but the overwhelming majority of people who who are in our amidst are men, and there's uh, a huge responsibility there. And um, it you know this lesson that we talk about coming out of the military is this ability to look out for your brother, and it's so much more than just the uh, th- this saying. It means that I have to train and physically be prepared, and mentally be prepared, and show up uh, on uh, any given day ready to execute the function of my job so that I can take care of my brother. Um, Yeah. I mean, you're in a pretty unique,
1: yeah, you're, you guys are in a pretty unique situation uh, in in that you have the ability to build up that brotherhood. And, and I, I think because you're dealing in life and death, very, very critical situations, there's probably even more opportunity for you to really explore why brotherhood and, and, and camaraderie and accountability is so important. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, anybody who's listening, who is obviously part of the fire service, I mean, what a blessing, you know, we talked about not, not overlooking the, the, the benefit of what you have until it's too late. And and so I see these guys who leave, whether it's military service or uh, their, their sports careers are done at whatever level they played at, whether it's high school or college or professional levels, but also men in, um, uh, first responder situations: firefighters, police officers, EMTs, who they leave for whatever reason. Maybe they retire. Maybe they, it's time for to do something different. Maybe they're medically disqualified, and then they leave, and they're like, "Oh, that was about more than just my job. Like I lost yeah. my entire quote unquote family yeah.
0: when I left." And
1: and so you got to be really careful not to take that for granted while you're while you're still part of the organization. Um, it's such an integral part to improving. Yourself, And the other thing I found, too, that that's so beneficial of brotherhood is not only are you holding each other accountable, but because you're holding somebody else accountable, a couple of things are happening. You're also simultaneously giving them permission to hold you accountable, which mm-hmm. is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you're serving somebody else, you recognize, for the most part, maybe even if subconsciously, that you don't have any right to do that unless you square yourself away. Like, what right would I have to tell... Uh, somebody who's 30 pounds overweight to get in shape and, and to dial in if I'm 30 pounds overweight. Right. Or, or what right would I have to tell somebody to get their their, their financial house in order if I'm 50, 60, 80, $100,000 in, in debt and I got collect- collectors breathing down my neck? You know, what right do I have to tell this guy that he needs to go train and work out with all of his gear on because that's a real world scenario when, you know, I can't even lift my fat ass off the couch. Right. So. The, the whole cool thing about account, part of what's so beneficial about accountability is that you know inherently that you can't hold somebody accountable if you can't even hold yourself accountable to living by the same standard you would expect of somebody else. I mean, we see it in the military when we have horrible leaders who, again, 50, 60, 70 pounds overweight, lack total discipline, and then they get upset with their guys because they don't show up on time. And, and my thought is, if you could say it, is like, sir, you can't even resist putting the donut down. Let alone telling me that I got to get to formation not just the right time like who are you to tell me that right? You know and, and you probably see it the same thing in the fire service. They, they see it in police departments They see it everywhere. It's like look if you want to lead Then lead yourself. Yeah. and only then do you have the right to then go ahead and start leading other people?
0: Yep I'm working with some guys. Uh, I have been for a long time here who are preparing to promote and uh, to the role of a, a company officer, which is like a, a small unit leader uh-huh. in the fire service. and uh, and the, the, one of the number one things that these guys will say when you present them with a, a leadership challenge is you I have to set the example. It's the first thing they say. Yeah. And so uh, so I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely that is so right. So what are you doing to make sure that you are a fine example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you say it, you can say it, but now you have to live up to that. Right. Uh, Yeah. Anybody
1: can regurgitate the right answers. (laughs) I I mean, we're all we all know you go into a job interview, whether it's for a promotion like you're talking about here or even just to secure a job, you know, in in retail or fast food. And I mean, it's not it's not really any wonder what they're going to ask and it's not really any wonder what answer they're looking for. Uh, It's very easy to say and to pay lip service. But then, I mean, really, you can look at somebody and know okay, is this somebody who actually believes this, the stuff they're saying, or is this somebody who's just paying me lip service? Yeah, exactly.
0: So, Hey, I wanted to, I wanted to go back real quick to wait, So when you were on deployment, were you married at that time?
1: Yeah. So my wife, so my background is retail management. So before I was deployed, I was, uh, well, uh, but let me just back up even a little bit further. Cause this is paint part of this picture here. Uh, so I moved, so my wife and I were, we dating, we were engaged and we lived in Southern Utah Uh, An opportunity came for me to open a store in northern Utah, a clothing store in northern Utah, Uh, and that was before her and I got married. So I actually moved to northern Utah and worked there for, it must have been a month or two before we got married. And then when we got married, we moved to to the Salt Lake area. And then uh, the company I was working with said, hey, you know, we've got a we've got a store opening in Southern California and we would like you to manage this new store. And we were young and excited about traveling and the opportunity to open a store. So we moved okay. down to Southern California, yeah. and uh, within six months of being married, is we got so we got married in um, uh, in June, the end of June, June twenty sixth.
0: How old were you? And guys?
1: then uh, I was twenty three, and she was nineteen. Okay. Yeah. So I got married real. I got
0: two, married real young as well. That's why I asked, because it, yeah. it presents its own challenges for sure. So
1: of course yeah of course so yeah it was june twenty sixth, and by november twenty sixth. so what's that uh five months uh i got activated six months i left oh yeah we were only married for six months before i before i left for for training in iraq
0: yeah and you moved her away from home and
1: (laughs) yeah she moved back you know one of the things that was nice actually a hidden benefit of that in fact i got investigated for this of all things which is kind of funny but uh Basic allowance for housing is significantly higher if you live in California than Southern Utah or Utah in (laughs) general. So when, so what they do is they look at your orders and wherever they send your orders, your record on Uh, file, wherever they send those orders is where they base your BAH on. I see. So I told them, I, I was like, well, okay, so yeah, my orders, here's our permanent address. Here's where we live. So they sent my orders to our permanent address. And then when I was activated, and we left, my wife moved back to, to Utah to live with her folks. And and then when I got home, the military reached out to me. And they're like, hey, we're, we're going to investigate this because, you know, there's been some fraudulent activity, not necessarily with me, but just other situations where men were manipulating BAH allowances and things like that. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's fine. And so they investigated the whole thing and did a couple of interviews with me. And, you know, I was straightforward with them. And I said, yeah, I, I lived in California. That's where you sent orders. And then my wife moved back to Utah. And I said, well, that's it. You know, like just the fact that you live there permanently and that was your pr- your primary residence. Then, regardless of what happens afterwards, that's how it works. So <laughs> we were pretty fortunate in that our BAH was based in California, although my wife was living in, uh, well, she was living with their folks, you know, right. so they didn't have rent at all. Right. So it was, pretty, it was a nice blessing. Yeah, very for,
0: <laughs> fortuitous. It's, you know, that's, it's an interesting challenge when, um, you know, I have a, a a good friend who's was a anesthesiologist, is an anesthesiologist, and uh, he got deployed. He's in the uh, Air Force, and he got deployed. Okay. And I'm like, hey, man, you're an anesthesiologist in the Air Force. You are going to be so far away from anything interesting as far as, you know, danger to your life, and uh, not I, to di- not to diminish because I know they took they took mortars in their compound and stuff like that and so yeah, it, 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 <laughs> but I'm like I'm pretty sure their medical staff were as secure as they could possibly be.
1: They are, and I you know like I, I try not to diminish the experience of others. Like uh-huh. who, who am I? You know who am I to say whether it's an anesthesiologist or. Or, you know, somebody who, you know, has made some poor life choices and now is addicted to drugs and alcohol or, or worse, you know, and, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, well, what is that person complaining about? They did it to themselves. But I, I, I do try actually really hard not to, not to judge people's experiences. Look, I can judge the behavior. You know, I, I don't, <laughs> I think there's certain behavior that that's, that, that's not conducive to a fulfilled and, and happy lifestyle.
0: Right. But. Well,
1: um, I've never sat in somebody else's shoes, so I really don't know, you yeah. know, what they're experiencing. Well, so
0: that's the why I brought that up was the this idea that that everybody has a different um, perspective on this, right? And I and I and as a young married couple, you know, what is it, what are the challenges that we face? And I, I think it's great that you know your wife had the opportunity to go home and be with family. I think that's you know an ideal opportunity. And um, and then there are some who are who feel very isolated and very, um, you know, stranded in their situation, um, and may or may not have the support that they need to be successful or what have you. And, uh, yeah. So it's, it is interesting that the difference that the, the tools that you have going into it and then the, the result, uh, on the other end of it.
1: Well, and it's not only the tools, obvi- like, obviously let's not discount the tools, but there's, there's the adage. And I don't even know exactly how it goes, but, you know, the poor the poor tradesman blame, blames his tools, right? Mm. And, and it's, so it's, it, it is the tools. Tools are important. My son and I are building a canoe right now, and every once in a while we'll realize, okay, well, you know, we don't have the right planer. Or we don't have the right saw. And so, you know, we'll jump on Amazon or go to the local hardware store and pick up what we need to pick up. And it's amazing how much easier and effective that particular task becomes with the right tool. So let's not discount the tools. But also there's a mindset and there's a skill set and there's experience and and perspective that is also important. So somebody who says, well, you know, I don't have the same support staff or the same support uh, family or friends or relationships that you have. Well, yeah, I would say that maybe you ought to develop and, and pick those up, but there's also the mindset of being self-reliant and resilient and, that that's important too. You know, I've seen people in very similar situations where one individual thrives and the other crumbles. What's the difference? It's the mindset, it's the skill set, it's the experience, it's the perspective. Uh, so we, it's, it's, it's hard to say that in the society in which we live, regardless of whether you live stateside or abroad, you know, um, um, unless you're, you're living in, 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 some sort of village that doesn't have access to clean water or, or certain technologies or medical advancements, you know, it's 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 hard to say that anybody really has it all that hard. It's all here at our disposal. Mm. Um, we just have to learn how to tap into it, how to be creative, how to be resourceful. I think resourcefulness is a is an often overlooked skill set. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, again, it's it's like it's hard. It's a fine line because you don't want to judge people's experiences, but also there are opportunities if they they learn what they need to learn. And and I think we also have a moral obligation to teach you know you think about that in in, in the fire services you got you have more experience than somebody who's a rookie who's just coming on right of course Mm -hmm. and so like you you actually have a moral responsibility and obligation to take your knowledge and your information and your experience uh and and bestow that to somebody else who doesn't quite have it yet and if you don't look, I'll say it as bluntly as possible. Shame on you. Mm-hmm. You know, like shame on anybody who has, who has information or experience that could serve people and chooses to hoard it as opposed to sharing it and, and replicating it and duplicating it for other individuals who could be served by, by the, by the, the pains that you've gone through. You know, it's funny. Um, a small example, my, again, my son and I are building this canoe and, and there's this this gentleman that I follow. His name's Trent Presler And him and I have been talking on Instagram and we're going to do a podcast together. And, uh, I was talking about an issue I had and he's like, Oh man, I had so many issues and here's what I did. And I ended up using this sanding wand that he had recommended on one of his Instagram stories. And he told me, he's like, man, that was such a lifesaver. I wish I would have known that 20 years ago. I, Mm -hmm. I, have ruined so many pieces of wood and so many boats (laughs) because, uh, because I didn't have that tool. And I, and I said, well, Thank you for learning those lessons for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: there's, th- that's, and, there's so much wisdom in that.
1: Yes, exactly. So uh, the adage is a smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. There it is. And so look, if, if somebody's made a bad choice and a bad decision, I could ignore it or write it off or laugh at it and mock it. Or I could say, oh shit, like I'm not going to do that because yeah. clearly that doesn't work. And that's a more productive way of looking at other people's failures than poking fun at them or judging them. Just say, what can I learn? What can I extract? How can I be a better human? Yes. Uh, because this person went through that experience.
0: Exactly. Well, and I think that's that's one of the reasons why I, I've fallen in love with podcasting and podcasts, because we have the opportunity to sit and share life lessons um, and, and and whatever you know experiences that have helped shape us. And we can share that with an extended audience um and that's right. hugely valuable and and it, we can wave a flag and go hey man do not do this thing that i did um that jammed me up and uh here's an example of how i've improved from that and here's you know here's the lesson you can learn from that and i think exactly. about as as i was reading your book you you tell a story about um, a rough patch what well, kind of how the you know kind of the, the crux of your change right where you arrived at this point where you're like man i got to re re uh, establish my my wheels on the track and get my mm-hmm. life in order And, uh, I think that's a really powerful experience and, and I'm curious if you'd be willing to share, you know, kind of what, what caused you to, to wake up and say one day, like, Hey, uh, I got to figure this, this shit out and get my life squared away.
1: Yeah. So I, I think I mentioned it briefly earlier. My wife and I, uh, this was um, almost 12 years ago now, 11 years, 12 years, somewhere in there. Uh, we went through a separation, you know, my wife and I got into an argument one evening about, I don't even know, what. who knows? She doesn't remember. I don't remember, but it it really wasn't the argument. It was everything that had been boiling up, up until that point. And that was kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. And I remember saying to her when we were arguing in the kitchen, I said, you know, I don't even want to be married anymore. And she said, yeah, I don't either. Uh, and Mm. I left. So the next morning I left, uh, I went to, uh, some training. I was on on the road to go to some training to for my financial planning practice at the time, and I got about an hour up the road. And I'm like, man, what what are you doing? You know, your business is failing. Your, but more importantly, your marriage is falling apart. Like, so I turned around and I went back to talk to her. and And when I got home, she was packing up her stuff and was leaving. and And I tried to convince her, hey, let's stay, let's work this out. And she was like, no, I'm done, I'm out. Hmm. And, and so during our separation, she went and moved back in with her folks and I was at the house alone. She had, she had our one-year-old son at the time with her. And, you know, during, during our separation, I really blamed her for a lot of the problems that we experienced. You know, if only she would do this and why doesn't she appreciate me? And why doesn't she see all the things that I'm doing to help the family and get us established and, pay the mortgage and put food on the table. Why doesn't she see those things? You know, and, and if she did, then her marriage would be fine and it's all her fault. And I remember driving down the road and I vividly remember this. Like I can see it crystal clear in my mind. I know what road I was on. I know the cross street I was on. I was sitting on the corner of uh, riverside and river road. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what, Ryan, this marriage is over. we have been separated for probably two or three months at that point. I thought now that the marriage is over, you know, like this isn't working. She's driving on. I got to just come to terms with this. And I didn't want to wrestle with that. You know, I didn't want to think about that because I still loved her and I wanted to be with her. And, and, and I remember as I was sitting there, I thought to myself, you know, as as painful as this is for me to realize that this marriage is over, I'm just going to become the best catch for the next woman to come into my life. You know, I was young, young I was I don't know, maybe twenty, twenty eight, some twenty seven, twenty eight. So young, still you know, the prime like, of your life. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, yeah. I'm, there's going to be somebody else, you know, and and I don't want to wrestle with that, but there is. That's the reality of the situation. And so I'm just going to be a great catch for whoever that's going to be in my life. And at that moment, my life started to transform because, for potentially the first time in my life, I really started to take ownership and responsibility of my own my own shortcomings. And so I started to look at my marriage and realize that. Although I would say she had things to work on, I'm not absolving her of all of it.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> and if she were yeah. here
1: talking with you too, she would acknowledge that she had her own stuff to work on. Right. Um, but, but there's nothing I can do about that. Like I can't control her. You know, I can influence her, just like I can influence you or somebody listening. I can't control. I can't tell you do this thing and you have to do it. Right. Uh, but but I can influence you to do that thing. And so I so instead of trying to manipulate and coerce and strong armor and try to make her feel guilty for not doing the things that I thought you know she should be doing I just said you know I'm just gonna focus on myself and I started picking up some new hobbies I started listening to a bunch of CDs about success and growth and mindset podcasting really wasn't a thing when that went when we went through that right uh, I got some new friends because I had ditched all my friends when I got married, so I had to get new friends. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and I just started focusing on becoming. I, I was going to church, you know, and I was taking therapy. Like I was just focusing on fixing myself.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was almost like a light switch. I don't want to say it was that easy because I don't want anybody to just believe that if they work on themselves that all their problems will be solved. Like it takes time, and 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 it's it's it's. It's work, you know, but it was almost like a light switch. She started to recognize and acknowledge that she started to see that. And she started to realize that, oh, there's the guy that I married. There's the guy that I believed in. That's the guy who I saw had potential that I thought I could build a life with. Right. And long story short, her and I reconciled. And I remember I was, I was up in, in Northern Utah doing some training and uh, I got a call from her and she's like, Hey, I want to move home this weekend. And, uh, it, it was hard at first there was still a lot of, there was some bitterness on my end. You know, I, I still blamed a lot of it on her. Like, and, and then I, and then I felt like I had to walk on thin ice, you know, because I thought maybe she would hold things over my head or, or threaten to leave again, that kind of stuff. So there was a lot of issues that we needed to work through, but because I started taking ownership of my life, things started happening. The things that I wanted happened and I became more influential in her life and I think I told you, I don't know if we were recording when we talked about this, but, um, you know, seven, 17 years this year, we've got not only our first son that, that, that I had during, that we had during our separation, but, um, but I've got three other kids and we live here in Maine and we've got this beautiful home on this, this amazing property and we're living our lives and we're having experiences together because, and only because I decided to take responsibility for my share of of the relationship, which I wasn't doing before.
0: I, I absolutely love that story, man. And I, and I really appreciate your willingness to to share that with me and, and everybody who's listening. Um, because I think that it, there's a certain amount of accountability. You know, we, we've said the word accountability a bunch thus far, and, and you added the word ownership to the conversation. And I think that's really important because this is the, the, you know, I hate this, this axiom, but it's, you know, it takes two to tango, right? Relationships are complicated and hard, um, and people have their own expectations. And, and if we're not clear about our own expectations, um, then you're destined to fail. Right. And I had a guy tell me early in my marriage, he's like, Hey rain, if you, if you take care of Ann, she'll never want for anything. And, and if you take care of rain, he'll never want for anything. And I'm like, that's a very simple and trite message. But the reality is that the subtext is if you are focused on your partner's needs and you're, and you are, um, helping lift them and they are helping lift you, right? You're going to, you're going to grow together. But what happens is we get very selfish and, and myopic and we're not thinking about our partner. Um, and we're not thinking about the big picture. The, uh, and I think that affects us really profoundly as well. Um,
1: well, I think there's another angle though, that needs to be explored because, you know, we hear things like that a lot, like, Oh, live for that person and take care of that person and, you know, make, make her your everything. And, and, and that's all fine. Like there's, there's not really anything wrong with that, except for it's just incomplete. Mm -hmm. And, And what I mean by that, and this applies to men and women actually is like, is that a lot of the times We think that we're supposed to sacrifice everything for that individual. And I know for myself and millions of other men and women, again, experience this as well, is that when they enter into a relationship, they believe that that because their universe now has to revolve or center around that individual, that they have to forsake everything else that's important to them. Mm. And so things that will be sacrificed on the altar of this happy marriage, like we hear happy wife, happy life type things. So <laughs> these, these, these thoughts permeate the way that many of us, the majority of us view relationships. And, and so what gets sacrificed first is your friendships. Mm. I alluded to that earlier because I didn't have any new friends because I ditched them all when I got married mm-hmm. and our hobbies. Those are the first things to go. And, and what we do is we have these noble, these things that we call that I call anyways, uh, noble obstacles, right? because if I told my if I told you or anybody else or my wife that hey, I'm gonna go out with my buddies and I'm gonna go out boozing and and and, and, and trying to pick up chicks and 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 I'm gonna be a total asshole, like everybody who would hear that knows, including myself, knows it's probably not the behavior that I should do as a married man, right? Mm-hmm. But a noble obstacle is harder to evaluate because what we'll do is we'll say things like, man, I really want to work out to get my physique in order or to be more effective and efficient in my job. But, you know, my, my wife's at home with our new baby Mm -hmm. or, or my, my wife wants to go on a date tonight. And so guys, I can't go out because my wife wants to spend time together. See, that's a noble obstacle Mm -hmm. because you're actually doing what you should be doing. You should be taking care of your wife. <laughs> you should be worried about your newborn. Right. And so it's easier to justify not taking care of yourself.
0: Right, so here's so what we... Go ahead, sorry. Go
1: ahead. Oh, well, I was just gonna say, so what we need to do is we need to, yes, acknowledge acknowledge our duties and responsibilities as fathers and husbands or mothers and wives. Acknowledge it, but also understand and know and then carve out time for ourselves free of guilt because the better we take care of ourselves meaning we have hobbies we have friends we have things that are meaningful and interesting to us outside of my universe revolving around my wife my my universe doesn't resolve revolve around my wife It, it doesn't because that would be a problem that that's an external circumstance or situation and then it becomes actually draining on her we can get into that if you want later. But, uh, but I found a way to take care of myself free of guilt. And that allows me to enter back into my duties, obligations, and responsibilities as a more effective husband and father. Uh, right. but it's a bit, it's really counterintuitive because we've equated time mm. with, with, you know, quality. So I just got to put in the hours, Yeah, put in the hours,
0: right? No, it's well, not so, about
1: the hours. It's about the effectiveness of the time that you have there.
0: Right. So, when I, so that, that counsel that was given to me, um, what to me, and I said the word trite because it's oversimplified, right? Yeah. It, it doesn't take into consideration uh, the fact that we, and you, this is exactly what you talked about, right? Is we all have an individual needs and, and, and needs to be fulfilled. That my wife, okay, I train jujitsu. My wife will not roll with me. Okay, mm-hmm. she cannot fill that need for me, but but that is something that is deeply important to me, right? Right. She can't help me with that. So, but the, but in order for uh, where I, where I see this, uh, what she needs from me is clear communication, right? She needs me to say to help her understand what's important to me, and then to provide the right framework. Um, of sacrifice or whatever that might be. And and where is it appropriate? Where does it not? And I think that's the, that's the balance that you're talking about is, you know, yeah, you're, you're a very important person in my life, but I, there are also other things that I'm trying to do to help me personally develop, um, to be more capable, more healthy, uh, stronger, smarter, you know, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, in, in our relationship, there's boundaries. We have boundaries in place. And those yeah. boundaries are very important. And I've communicated what they are. She's communicated what hers are. And the expectations are set. And we have all yeah. those expectations. When I go to jujitsu, jitsu that isn't for my wife. Right. Like My wife doesn't – like, I would actually like her to train, but I don't want it to cut into my time of, of training because <laughs> yeah. that's for me. Yeah. Um, when my son – my oldest son and I work on the canoe, like, my wife doesn't – I mean, we'll, she'll come down and we'll show her our progress – but she doesn't build the canoe with me. Like, that's not, that's not for her. Right. And it's the same thing with her. She does things in in the house and around the house. She, we have the the great fortune of her being able to stay at home and be a homemaker and she's homeschooling our children and, and and just an amazing homemaker and and wife and mother and woman in general. Um, But she, a couple of things that she's really into is beekeeping. She loves beekeeping. She's got her bees and she's got ducks and she's got chickens and she's got the garden that stuff isn't for me, right? You know, I'm gonna support her in that. If I see something that she needs, or she's out of town and I need to feed and water the chickens, you know, I'll do that. But like, that's not my thing. That's hers, and right. it's not for me. And so I give her—I don't give it to her. I honor her boundary because yeah. even on Wednesday night. So every Wednesday, so I train two nights a week and two mornings a week for jujitsu. Since we were speaking about that, yeah. And one one of the nights that I train is Wednesday night. And I get home about 8 o'clock in the evening, and the kids go to bed about eight o'clock or so. We've already talked about it. Wednesday nights are for ourselves, so I go to jujitsu. She puts the kids down, and then the rest of the evening is hers, like whatever yeah. she wants. Sometimes she'll watch a master class on cooking or beekeeping or whatever. Right. And then you know maybe I'll read a book or I will work on the canoe or I'll do something. But we don't over like it's. It's not her time; it's my time, and it's not my time for her. It's her time for herself. Right. So we establish these things, and it makes it so much more effective and healthy in our relationship. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's that's really the most important piece. Is you know, I'm looking out for you by helping, by being clear and kind in my expectations, and or clear in my expectations, and the, um, and giving you the space to work on the things that you need to work on, and it's this. The sharing of expectations is so important, and you know, you said the word boundaries. I think that's really important as well, right? Like, but again, that's that clarity. Hey, this is what I want. This is what I need, and what I want in my relationship. That's so huge to me. I think it's really important. A really, really important factor. Um, it's
1: always funny to me when I hear guys who are like, "Yeah, you know, like I don't know, I gotta, I gotta check with my wife, and my wife won't let me," and this kind. Of, I'm like, you are absolutely ridiculous. And the same thing goes with the woman. Right. oh, well, you know, I got to check with my husband and see, and he really wants me home for this. It's like, gosh, dang, that's just yeah. a recipe for disaster. Like, I don't ask my wife if I can do things. Right. She doesn't ask me. It. Now, look, I'm not saying we don't communicate it. Hey, yes. hon, uh, this weekend, the guys want to go out and spend some time together. Um, I'm not asking you for permission. I'm just making sure that coordinates okay with your schedule. <laughs> right. Right. And And when she comes to me, like, she's got a girlfriend who lives in Texas. She just moved to Texas, and and my wife said, hey, you know, I really want to, I really want to spend some time together. And, and we're going to, we're thinking about going to, I actually think they're going to Arizona. Oh, nice. And yeah. And so she's not asking me for permission. She's saying, hey, we're going to do this. Let's coordinate a schedule so that it works because she respects me enough to at least like work with my schedule. But she like she doesn't have to ask me for permission if she goes and spends time with her girlfriend. That yeah. would be ridiculous. Right. You know, it's the same thing with a man. Like, yeah. you know, I don't have to ask my wife for permission to go spend time with my friends. Are you kidding me? No, I'll respect her schedule and say, hey, hon, is Saturday night okay or is Friday night okay? Right. If that doesn't work, maybe we'll do it during the week. What works okay for you? Again, I'm not asking for permission. I'm coordinating with you because I've yes. agreed to walk through this life hand in hand.
0: Yes. See, and that's the clarity I think that comes to that. You know, you take that idea of, of you, you are looking out for her needs. By being clear in your communication, and and if she was to say, "Oh gosh, dang it, Ryan, I've got this thing going on. I really need you here." Oh, right. Uh, what was I not aware of that, or why didn't I know about that? And you know, yeah, I'll be flexible enough or whatever that looks like. But it's you know that's the whole point. So it's that's huge, man. And you know, um, you know, hey, I want to I'm going to switch gears on you here. We talk about jujitsu a little bit, and you know, you talk about. One of the things you mentioned was you reached a breakover point where you had gained a bunch of weight and you were, you know, recognized that this was not sustainable for you. And that, um, so what were, what was that like for you to, to, it's all about taking responsibility for yourself. And I think that physical fitness is something that people really struggle with as we age, as we have some injuries, et cetera, right? As our bodies change and and are not as robust as they were. How did you, how did you wrestle with it? Well, I've
1: been thinking about it lately. You know, a lot of people like to use this term, it's hard, right? It's hard. Or they'll say things like, well, that's easier said than done. <laughs> stop saying that. Stop saying that. Like, everybody acknowledges it's easier to flap your lips than it is to do the work. Like, we, we already know that. And, and stop saying it's hard. That's one of the things that we don't say in, my, in, in our household. Like, if, my ch- if one of my kids comes to me and says, this is hard, I'm like, nope, stop, reevaluate, think again. Because what we do when we say it's hard is we subconsciously make it harder than it needs to be. Mm. And being fit and being in shape isn't hard. It's not hard. You all know what to eat. You all need to know you need to move your bodies. It's not hard. But we just come up with all sorts of rationales and, and justifications and excuses. Oh, you know, like I got this thing at work. And I, I've heard people say this. Well, I would love to, but I just really love my kids, and I want to be with them. Ooh. What the hell are you talking about? Like, so are you? So, what you're saying is that anybody who works out doesn't love their children? Like, does that? That's well, what you're saying.
0: What an unhealthy it's, burden to put on your kids.
1: Yes, exactly. Right? That's a noble obstacle you're hiding uh-huh. behind. Uh huh. Right. You're yeah. hiding. I like to go you're the. Using,
0: I, I, I like. Sorry to me cut you off. I like to go the opposite way. I am, I work out so that I can hang out and train or sorry, that I can hike and play with my grandchildren someday. That's right. You know, that's, that's why right. I train for the future, you know, and my kids, well, they, and that goes, they're part of that.
1: That goes to your point. That question you asked me about, you know, my, my, my decision to change my life regarding my physical health. Yeah. I remember coming home from work one day and my kids were like my two oldest boys at the time. We're like, dad, 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 let's go jump on the trampoline. And I remember looking at them, looking down at them when I got back from work and like, I'm sorry, boys, I can't. And I literally could not. I was exhausted and I was fat and I was beat down and I was tired mentally and physically. And I just could not fathom going to jump on the trampoline. And that was the moment. That was very cathartic for me. That was the moment I realized, okay, all right, (laughs) Enough, enough. And then I was I was sitting at uh, a parade in our hometown. It must have been a Fourth of July parade or Peach Days parade or something, you know, like that. And this uh, this woman walked by, and she had a flyer. and I and I knew this woman. Um, she had married one of my friends from high school, and they had just opened a CrossFit gym. And she was handing me a flyer. She's like, "Hey, we just opened this gym. Come check it out." And I decided to go to CrossFit. And so on, so that must've been a Friday or a Saturday, that parade. And then, so on Monday I went in and I haven't looked back, man. Like CrossFit's been off and on, you know, but as far as my physical fitness journey, like right. I have not looked back. Right. We're very active. I'm training four to five days a week with jujitsu. I train three to four days a week with uh, strength training. Uh, you know, it might be a day where, where I'm not doing one of those two things and I'll slap on my snowshoes with my wife or my 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 kids and we'll just snowshoe around the property which if i right. take a loop around the main field it's exactly one mile holy so, mackerel. Th-
0: yeah <laughs> so yeah okay, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna jump ship here on you real quick so tell me about your move to maine because that's a um i mean you went from one beautiful part of the country to another what prompted that move
1: uh just adventure man like that they're really they're really people have a hard time wrapping their head around that one and we did two for a long time but there really wasn't anything to it than that like we were ready ready to try something new i came up here uh to meet with pete roberts uh who owns origin
0: oh yeah I know uh, The Jiu Jitsu yeah. company
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: i've got uh, a couple of origin geese my favorites i'll oh, just say
1: <laughs> they're the best geese, <laughs> they are man. phenomenal yeah. I just bought one for my son um, for his birthday that's coming up the end of this month. So they just have unbelievable oh, geese.
0: They're the best, yeah. So,
1: so Pete and I are really good friends, and I came up here for a week-long jiu-jitsu camp and uh, just kind of fell in love with it. I was up here in a se- September th- two or three years ago, and I was sending pictures to my wife, like, look at this, and check this out. She's like, yeah, of course, it's beautiful now. It's fall, you should see it in the winter or whatever. So Pete, and I, Pete invited my wife and I back to Maine uh during the winter this was two years ago and we we came up spent some time with him and my wife got a real estate agent I'm like what are you doing like <laughs> and we had talked about maybe moving and traveling and like going to a different place and seeing the world and or at least the country anyways
0: yeah.
1: and, and she's like well we can look like I mean we don't have to buy a house but like I'm interested I'm like oh yeah that sounds good and we probably looked at I don't, I don't know maybe 10 11 homes and I remember uh our real estate agent on the last home that we looked at, which we really liked, but it needed a little bit more work than we were willing to put forth. Our real estate agent said, Hey, there's one other place I want to show you. They've already got an offering on it, but they're looking for backup offers. It fits your requirements and what you're looking for. So let's just go check it out. So we drive down the road and we come to this, this intersection and we see this big, beautiful home. And in fact, I actually thought it was like some sort of little motel or bed and breakfast or something. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it was a house, you know? <laughs> and our real estate agent pulls into it, and was like, "Let's put an offer in on it." I'm like, "Well, hold up, like maybe we should, you know, figure out what they're asking. We should." Like,
0: she fell in love inside. right then, huh? Yeah, That's and awesome. I
1: did too, but I'm like, "Let's hold up." So we go in, and really long story short, we end up loving the place. This beautiful home built in 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 1912. Uh, oh wow! It's got this big beautiful barn that's probably the most straight and true and barn like barn that's in built, integrity. Like it's yeah, this, this, built this like they beautiful. did in the
0: old days, like exactly. legit. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah.
1: So we put an offer in on it. Six months later, we worked through some of the, the financing and worked through um the other offer fell through and our offer coming up it's a long story but it ended up working out so about a year and a half ago we moved out here and uh we've just really enjoyed it
0: that's amazing the uh um so how how many acres are you on uh just under 50
1: acres wow that's cool yeah that's cool
0: that's neat yeah I, I've yeah. seen some pictures of you guys on social media and I'm just like man what a beautiful spot this is gorgeous and um it is. the uh I see I see when I, I see, I've seen a couple pictures of your, uh, you guys training jujitsu in a. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's a barn. Is that your barn?
1: No, no. That's so. That's actually a really interesting story. So that's Pete's. Uh, place, oh, okay. Pete Roberts' place. So we we do. I, there's there's about I would say a dozen of us that train uh, privately. It's not a, it's not a publicly open training training center or, okay. or, or class or anything. Um. Uh, that's actually his very first origin factory. So oh, him and father-in-law cool. and a couple of other individuals, John Milan and some other guys, they, they built that factory. So they pulled the wood out of their own – the woods on that property. They milled the wood. They built the barn there. That's the very first origin factory. And very quickly, they grew out of it. They own four different facilities here in the area, all within 10 to 15 miles of me. Uh, and so that has become – the, our, our dojo uh, where we train because they just can't fit any other anything else in it. It's just too small for their operation at this point. Yeah. So yeah, that's where we train.
0: That's neat. It's a if anybody listening is not familiar with Origin, um their 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 origin story uh, is phenomenal um, and uh a real neat American company uh yeah, from the what they call it, from the cotton to the how do they their expression they use from the ground to the yeah, whatever. Anyways, all American made every piece of their yeah. fiber whatever. Fantastic yeah. deal. 100%
1: sourced and made in America. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah,
0: phenomenal. And uh neat yeah. story how they put their factory together and go grab these old looms and stuff like that. Cool story.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But um so speaking of cool stories, um let's talk a little bit about your book. The um we've covered a lot that's in your book and I think it's amazing the the things that we've talked about so far. The You know, you have some principles in here that I want to touch on real quick. The, um, you know, one of the things right away that I, when I read the book, that kept permeating through my brain was no one owes you anything, right? It's this idea that you have to take responsibility. And as I backed up on that, I'm like, no, the first thing you have to do as an individual is be honest with yourself, honest about, where you are in your life, honest about your relationships, honest about the things that you are doing every day to make yourself more effective. Would you say that's a fair place to start?
1: Yeah, I mean, how, so how do you build a plan on faulty information?
0: Right. <laughs> you
1: know? right. Like, like, how do you, like, so are you, so with your with your uh, experience, are, are you a structural firefighter or BLM? Yeah, City
0: of Phoenix, structural. urban, structural urban firefighter, okay. yep.
1: All right. So, okay. So think about it from this context. You guys have plans, right? You have standard operating procedures. Mm -hmm. You have systems, you train those systems, you have procedures, like all of this stuff is well-established and it's based on hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years of experience and research, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So imagine going to a, a fire and you get there and you, nobody has any experience. Nobody knows anything about how to turn on a hose to hook it up to how you actually enter the building to how you work as a team to the oxygen that you need. Nobody has any freaking clue, but there's one guy who's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And he tells you guys what to do, except for he's got no experience. And he's a, uh, let's say he's a, uh, a civil engineer. So at least he knows how the buildings working, right? Okay. But he has no idea how to fight a fire. He doesn't know the behavior of fire. He doesn't know how it how it how it burns. He doesn't know how it how it moves. Like he doesn't know any of that. And you take all of your instruction from him. How would that work out? You would probably all die, right? Like <laughs> That's the reality. You or at least you died. stand
0: outside and the building would burn to the ground. <laughs>
1: yes. You wouldn't, you wouldn't accomplish the objective best case scenario, worst case right. scenario, you'd all, you'd all perish. Okay. We all do the same thing in life. We bury our heads in the sand. We tell ourselves we're better than we are. We, we delude ourselves. We listen to people who make us feel good rather than tell us the truth. Look, my background is financial planning. I know people who refuse To look at their bank account statement because they know how bad it is. Mm. I have had conversations in the last two days with men, multiple men, who refuse to get on the scale because they know how fat they are. And they don't want to make it tangible. Mm. They don't want to quantify it. Because if they look at the bank account or they look at the number on the scale, now it's real. See, they're very comfortable deluding themselves, telling, oh, it's not that bad, and I'm, I'm building muscle, and, <laughs> and, you know, like, oh, I, I, I'm doing okay financially, we lie to ourselves. But you can't build a plan based on either lies or ignorance, and that was the civil engineer I was talking. That's yep. ignorance. Yep. We don't listen to ignorant people because they're going to get us hurt or killed. Right. And sometimes we're the ignorant ones.
0: We're the ones
1: who don't have the basis of reality. We're operating from delusion. I'll give you a great exercise I used to do in my financial planning, or uh, one of my coaches used to do in his financial planning practice. So he was coaching hundreds, if not thousands, of financial advisors across the country. And we'd all get in this room. And I remember one day there was about 100, maybe 150 of us. And he said, hey, by show of hands, how many of you in here believe that you are a better than average financial advisor hmm. and 80 to 90% of the hands went up. Wow. And he's like, okay, how can that be? How can that, that, is, that isn't even possible. Only 50% of the hands should go up, right? Because 50% of you are better than average and the other 50% of you are worse than average. Right. Why are there 90% of the hands up that right here? Because you think you're better than you are. Mm-hmm. You're not as good as you think you are. Right. So you've got to operate from the foundation, the basis of reality. It's painful. It's bitter. It's embarrassing sometimes. Yeah. Um, but when you start to get real with your own inadequacies, although it is very, very painful and uncomfortable, then, and only then can you build a strategy that will actually help you to produce the results that you want. Yeah. But you've got to base it in truth and reality.
0: Yeah. That's a, uh, I think of, uh, Jocko Willink, he talks about detaching, right? You yes. have to step back and gain some perspective and, and right. then look at the whole thing objectively, take the emotion out of it and really analyze what you got going on. Um, right. You know, you talk about uh, the principle of purpose in your book, right? What is your mission? And this kind of takes me back to uh, what we talked about earlier, which was, you know, when when, the, when people get out of the military or they end, you know, they they, they, they lose that sense of objective and purpose. And, mm-hmm. and you really outline a, uh, you talk about what you feel the purpose for men should be. And I want you to, if you wouldn't mind, talk about that a little bit. You talk about protect, provide, preside. I think those are really neat foundational principles. And I don't mean, neat to be, you know, sound, they're fantastic. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, like <clears throat> I've always worked best with frameworks mm. <clears throat> Because I'm, I'm a very structured person. I'm a very organized person. I realize not everybody is, but that, that tends to be me. You know, if, if like here's a silly example. My wife, my wife laughs at me because the other day she, I went, I said, hey, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I need to get something. She's like, oh, will you get me, uh, what did she ask for? She asked for ricotta cheese and, I don't know, mozzarella or something like that, right? And so she's like, this is here, this is here, just go get it. So I went and got it with what I needed. And I came back, and I put it on the counter. I'm like, here you go. And she's like, oh, yeah, thanks. She's like, you're the only person that I know who will go to the grocery store and get exactly what I asked for and nothing more. I'm like, well, did you want something more? She's like, well, I mean, you could have got some ice cream or something. And I'm like, well, you didn't ask me for ice cream. Like, if you want ice cream, you should have just told me to get some ice cream. I would have got you some ice cream. But you didn't ask for that, so I assume you didn't want it. <laughs> but, the, but the point that I'm making is that I I work very good with a set of instructions and and Mm in a system and frameworks. And so for me, understanding what my role is as a man has helped me backfill the activities and behaviors that I need to, that I need to do in my life. So I've identified three, I was going to say realms, probably not realms, but, Three main priorities for myself, and they're very broad and they're very general, and then I can work backwards into the activities I need to do. But you said them protect, provide, preside. And I think that a man who steps into the calling of protector, provider, and presider, which is synonymous with leadership, a man that steps into those roles and those callings and those responsibilities is a man who's generally going to be more fulfilled than somebody who doesn't. A man that's wandering around aimlessly without any sort of responsibility, without any clear set of instructions. It's like going to the grocery store and just trying to guess what your wife wants. How would right. you know? Right. Right. The 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 whole concept of the protect, provide, preside framework is knowing, okay, this is where this is where meaning is found. And by the way, all of those are rooted in the element of service. To protect means that you're serving somebody who's Who's relying upon you to protect them or is it incapable in of protecting? I mean, this ties perfectly in line with what you do with a fire service
0: yeah. to
1: provide, right? To, 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 the interesting thing about provision and, and when you're talking about providing for other people, it means that you're capable of not only self-sustaining you, mm-hmm. but you've done so good at managing your resources that now you're capable of providing for others. How valuable is that? How valuable is that to a family or to a community and then preside to lead and effective leadership is about serving other people. It's about giving them what they need. It's about helping them get to a place they could not have imagined going on their own. It's about giving them opportunities to step into leadership for themselves. It's all rooted in service, and it ties in perfectly with what you guys do with fire service and for your fire departments you work
0: with. Absolutely, you know when you when when I went through this and started reading, I was thinking about the when you the, the word protect. I thought about knowledge, skills, and abilities. Just kind—I of, I always say KSAs, KSAs, knowledge, skills, and abilities—and because you mentioned situational awareness, preparedness, mindset, and in that, I'm thinking we there's this there's things that we need to build in capacity to fulfill our, our roles, right? Particularly as firefighters, but as, as husbands, as fathers, like your ability. And this is, you know, I, I think to one of the reasons I started training jujitsu was I felt like, Hey, I can take care of myself. And then I had a friend show me, he put me in a rear naked choke in under in seconds. And I was like, what, yes. what was that? And he's and he like, man, man you, right? this guy's like 50 to 70 pounds lighter than me. And little guy and i was like what what was that well okay i'll let me tell you the whole story i was at the station and i go out into the apparatus bay and there's a gym we have our gym was out in the bay and my firefighter is wrestling with a pool noodle <laughs> and i'm like what are you doing and he's like oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting ready for pans and he was you know he's arm barring yep. this pool noodle and i said well all right well i i can be your wrestling dummy if you'd like and um and so I get into the only, like, you know, into turtle position, like the only, you know, starting position I know for wrestling. Right. Wrestling. And, yeah, sure. uh, and, and he takes my back and throws in a rear naked choke and has me like on death's doorstep in a heartbeat. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, dude, show me more. Right. And, uh, and so he did, and it was fantastic. And I, and I realized at that point that there, this world. There is so much that I need to continue to learn in order to be more capable, and um, and and to main to be more aware of my circumstances, to to be uh, to be more able to defend my family um, or to take care of my partner at work. Right, you have to continue to develop yourself. And then the pe- the element of provide. Um, of course, I think the knee jerk reaction is to think that hey, you're the breadwinner, you're bringing the money into the household, you're providing mm-hmm. financially. But as I read your book, I realized it's so much deeper than that. You know, you talk about the emotional and the spiritual provision um, mm-hmm. and and being able to educate and sustain your family that way. And, and you know, again, I take this to work as well, right? Looking out for the, the mental and emotional welfare of your of your comrades at work, it's huge, right? That's really, really important. Can I, so can I
1: say something on Please. that point right there? So... Again, I, I told you my background is financial plan. I've, I've got a lot of retail management, my background mm. in the finance. I ran, I, I owned my own financial advisory firm for years. Um, and so one of the things that we did is we did life insurance. And when you look at life insurance, what what life insurance companies and actuaries will do is they'll try to take a human life and mm. based on certain factors, they'll try to quantify the financial uh value of a human life, right? So here's, here's some basic factors. Here's how old you are. Here's how much money you're currently making. And then we just multiply that by a factor. And that's the, that, that, that's a very rudimentary way of looking at the value of human life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at this pie chart and and I've, and I've had clients die and I've had, you know, uh, insurance claims that I've needed to deliver during my time as a financial advisor, And if you look at this pie chart on what an individual, whether it's a man or a woman, what an individual offers to a family, you got this pie chart. And the financial provision is just a sliver of -hmm. what an individual adds to the relationship, whether it's for his wife or husband or children or friends and colleagues and coworkers and brothers and everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's just a sliver. It's an important sliver. I'm not saying it's not important. It is very important. But there's the emotional support. There's the spiritual support. There's the discipline and the structure and the guidance and the love and the frameworks. There's just so much more that goes to it that you just can't possibly quantify in a financial metric. Life insurance actuaries can't, con- they, they can't even fathom or, or compute how, how important it is for a father to sing to his sons and daughters at night before they go to bed, or, or when they do something stupid to discipline them appropriately and then give them better guidance and structure so they won't make the same dumb decisions they did in the past. You can't calculate that stuff. But when you look at the pie chart, you've got the financial provision, which is a sliver, and then you've got everything else, which takes up significantly more uh, of that chart. And those are the things that are so valuable to families and children and a, and a spouse and society at large. They're just significantly harder to quantify, which is why when I say provision, everybody's like, Oh yeah, you gotta make money. Well, yeah, that's a sliver of what you should actually be doing. Right.
0: Mm. The, uh, and the, and the last piece previ- preside. Um, I think that, you know, this equates to leadership, right? Like you just said, and the, you know, I feel like this is a really, really important piece here because people underestimate the value of being a leader um, and, and leading. They, they feel like they have to be in a an appointed position to be a leader. Mm. But I yeah. like to I like to tell folks like, "Hey, lead from where you are." And, and you mentioned mm-hmm. in your book, you say, "Start with yourself." And I think that. Yeah. That, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I had this um, when I was in the uh, the retail management space. One of my very first managers, I think so highly of her, she, she really trained me a lot and taught me a lot about it. And and her phrase was leadership is not a title, Mm -hmm. you know? and, And so, so many people think that, you know, once, once I'm, once I'm chief, right, then, then I can lead. Right. Right. Once I get that promotion or that advancement, or once I become this or that, then, then I'll do it. No, it's not a title. It doesn't matter what's on your plaque. It doesn't matter what rank is sitting on your collar or on your sleeve. Like, not. I mean, yeah, that gives you some perceived authority. Sure, right. of course. So people know who to look to, and there's a hierarchy of leadership. But that's just a representation of those who have developed and, and, and proficiently shown that they are capable of leading. It's actually one of the hard things I have one of the challenges I have with the military, I don't know if it's the same with a fire service or, or police necessarily. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But sometimes one of the things that got really jaded on with the military is those guys that put the rank on their collar or on their sleeve. They were the, just the ones who'd been there the longest. Right. And they could memorize some shit. Right. Like so, I, I ran into so many situations. I look, I had some great, leaders, some great leaders. And then I had other leaders who I, I just, I couldn't fathom why you know, they, right. they didn't how they care arrive, about how the
0: they future. ended up there. Uh, right.
1: And then I realized, oh, it's just a, it's just a, a an attrition game. You know, like you just got to outlast everybody else. Well, yeah. that's a pathetic, weak way of, of <laughs> determining yeah. leadership. Yeah. You know, the guy, the, the, the rookie who comes on, who decides to take initiative or apply what he's learned and then lead other people and in, in the, in the absence of, Direction or in the presence of fear, that guy's more of a leader than some of these guys who've been around for 20 years who who just have the the weight of their brass or the or, or the experience under their belt. Like I, I'd rather have the guy who actually shows real leadership outside of the title than somebody who has the title but doesn't possess the skill set. That's the person I'll follow. Yeah, all day long. Man. Yeah,
0: I had uh, I had I had someone tell me one day a chief officer tell me when I was a young firefighter he pointed to. The shirt I was wearing, and he's like, "See right there, where it says firefighter." He goes, "When you come into my office with an idea, and it says firefighter on your shirt, you are an ass." He goes, "When it says captain, you become an asset." And I said, "Chief, with all due respect, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard." And he said, "Hey, it is dumb." He said, "He said, hey man, I'm not telling you it's right. I'm telling you it's the way it is." And that. Uh, that really spoke to sort of culture and organizational construct, right? And that's, that's one of those things that we have to learn to change. Um, and I speak, you know, speaking to the fire service, we have to be more engaged in our development, more engaged in our leadership and our, in our willingness to lead and allow and younger members in the organization to step out and give them space to present ideas and to, to provide leadership in their sphere, right? And with their level of experience. Um, and and help develop those people because they're going to be the leaders in the future. And um, we have to give them a little bit of room to do that.
1: Well, and and saying things like that, like for example, saying, (laughs) well, this is the way it's done. Right. That isn't leadership by definition. (laughs) That has nothing to do with leading people. You're a follower. You're a drone. You're a robot. Like a robot could do that as well as you could. That's not leadership. Right. You know, leadership is saying, Hey, this is the way it's always been done, but it isn't right. And so here's how we're going to do it. Right. And then having the credibility and the experience to, to, to be able to influence other individuals. So that, that, that individual you're talking about could have said something like, and I'm not, I don't know this person, but they could have said something like, this is the way it's always been done. But I want you to know here at this station, if you've got a good idea, right? and it says firefighter on your chest then you've earned the right to communicate that idea. And that doesn't mean that every idea is good. It doesn't mean that every idea will be implemented, but it does guarantee that every idea will be listened to with equal respect. And then we'll all determine whether or not that's something we should consider implementing or not. That's leadership. Like leadership is doing the hard things, not just following the, the handbook.
0: Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. That's an interesting thing that, that, that happens in a lot of organizations, right? Is people end up in leadership positions and they they are a little bit insecure and their egos are fragile and and they don't allow people to put their ideas on the table because it may challenge what they understand to be true and it may make them put them in a hard position, right? And so Or
1: you know what else happens yeah. is here's another thing that happens.
0: Like what do you call new what do you call
1: new new firefighters do you call them recruits you call them rookies like what do you call
0: probationary firefighters you know we call them probationary firefighters sometimes (laughs) okay so let's let's just say recruit just for the sake of argument okay Okay. gotta recruit copy
1: a lot of guys a lot of leaders quote-unquote leaders the title they'll say well this is what we're going to do because when i was in your spot Uh, that's what was done to me yep what the hell does that have to do with anything? so you're just gonna you know how miserable it was you know how (laughs) counterintuitive and productive it was yeah and but you know that 20 years ago you were in the same spot and and now because you're in a different spot you think it's a good idea all of a sudden come on man give me a break be better than that
0: it's so true man that is that is i've seen that done over and over again um and it's absolutely horrible yes it's ridiculous yep oh my gosh hey the, uh, you know, you talk about the code of conduct and, and I know we're running short on time here. I've, I've monopolized a lot of your morning here. So I'm going to, um, move on real quick here, but, uh, there's so much in your book. There's the 13 virtues. And what I love about this, I just say this real quick is that it, it is not a surprise what's in this book, but it is important to read through those elements because you unpack them in a way that's really, really informative. And I just wanted to say that because that's really important to me. Um, uh, that people, that they dig into this book and and really look at those virtues and values and say to themselves, am I magnifying this in my life? Mm -hmm. And and that honest uh, element. And the last one that you list is courage. And I I think, I'm hoping, because I'm guessing that you put it last for a reason. Um, Because to me, it's about operationalizing all those values. Having the courage to stand for what you believe in to hold your virtues as important? Yeah,
1: it's, it's hard. It's hard. Well, again, I'm coming back to this hard thing, right? So like, I got to be careful of saying that myself. and falling into the own traps I've identified as, 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 as (laughs) as being, you know, counter counterproductive for you, but it is definitely challenging to live the life that you envision for yourself. It's to go back to leadership. For example, it's, it's there's risk, you know, there's risk associated with you saying, no, we're actually not going to do it that way. I know we've done that for 200 years, but, um, times have changed or we, we, we now know that this is not productive. And so we're going to do it differently. There's risk, you know, there's risk to saying, take ownership is one of the, the, uh, virtues in the code of conduct. There's risk to saying, Hey, the reason that I'm experiencing the results or the lack thereof that I am is not because of my wife. It's not because of my section chief. It's not because of my boss or the economy or the president or COVID or whatever. But the reason that I'm experiencing this is because of myself. There's risk to that. It means that you have to look the person in the mirror and say to yourself that I'm inadequate. And that takes balls, man, that takes courage. And that doesn't apply just to men, by the way. Yeah. Like that, That figurative ball. Like that takes courage. Yeah. For you to say, oh, no, I'm not as good as I think I am. Mm. Or, uh, you know, this is the way you've always done it, but I'm in a position where I can actually do something about it, and so I'm going to make a change because I have the authority, power, and credibility to be able to do it. That takes courage. It takes courage to say things that aren't going to be popular, to do things that aren't comfortable, to get into somebody's face literally and figuratively and say, you can do better, or to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you can do better. That takes courage. You know, and, and, and a lot of people think that, oh, well, some people are just born courageous. No, I think some people are just born with a predisposition to be more risk, uh risky, hmm. to take greater risks. And that actually that actually has, I was talking with a psychologist about this the other day. That actually has to do with the way that their brain is hardwired. Uh, whether it add, for example, I, I was always wondering what this was, and I was talking with this individual and they said well, ADD is not an overstimulation of, of brain activity. I, I, that's what I thought it was. They said, hmm. no, it's an understimulation of brain activity. And so those who, who are diagnosed as ADD or ADHD, it's an understimulation. And so they actually have to go looking for it in other ways. So they'll go out and they'll do reckless things. They will look for adventure. They'll be loud and obnoxious and annoying and all these other things huh. because they're trying to stimulate their understimulated brain. It's a very interesting concept, something I didn't think about. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it takes courage to do all of these things. It takes courage to go out and step out and, and to do things and, 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 be bold and be brave, but it's not the absence of, of, of fear. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's having fear, but Deciding that what you're going after is worth the risk of the fear or 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 the potential loss that you may incur In going after that thing and that's that's why courage is so important. Yeah,
0: no, I love it, man I think that's a a great place to wrap because We because when you type you talk about taking ownership of your life and and being honest with yourself and those around you um, That requires courage that really does tie it together. Like if you want to operational, all this stuff, you you want to put it to work. You actually have to be willing to take a big bite of a hard sandwich. of a hard thing. Sorry. (laughs) We're using that word. I will get that on my lexicon. Um, Yep. Yep. Gotta be
1: careful. The words we, the words we tell ourselves are so important. It's so easy to fall into these things Yeah. and we think it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's interesting. I think it doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter what I say to myself. No, it matters. It matters.
0: Well, hey, Ryan, man, hey, I will tell you this, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to write this book, and um, and I appreciate you, you know, more importantly, I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me and, and share with me your thoughts and philosophies and ideas, man, it's, and, and, and a lot about your personal background that drove you here, because, um, you know, we uh, we can have an impact on the world if we're willing to share some of that stuff, and I really appreciate your, your willingness to do that.
1: I'm honored to do it, man. I appreciate the opportunity. I think what you do and and your you know the, the the circles that you run in, I think it's invaluable work and I know it's underappreciated work, so I just wanted to honor and acknowledge you for the work that you do. and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and the people who are listening.
0: My right know. thanks, brother. Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in. That's all we have for today. Thank you, Ryan, for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit and rap and share some of your thoughts and feelings and philosophies with us. Uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, go out and get on Apple Podcast, rate and review the podcast, shoot me an email, give me your feedback. We can only improve this product and this uh, output uh, with your feedback. So also, uh, whatever platform you enjoy, go to and subscribe. This podcast will show up in the middle of the night, and um, and that's fantastic. Hey, now, listen. Uh, all the things that you've heard today, evaluate yourself, be honest with yourself, go out and think about how you can improve the quality of your life, the quality of your uh, performance and output, the quality of your relationships, etc. cetera. Go on out there and get some.